Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. 
The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said, Bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the doorframe. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshiped. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. There was so much blood. I don't know why the Roman soldiers asked me to help this man. I am Simon of Serene, and I have just returned from the countryside. I come to Jerusalem every year to celebrate the Passover feast. This year was no different. I don't know why they asked me to help him. Nothing could prepare me for this day. I've seen how animals are sacrificed, slaughtered and sacrificed. I've seen what wild animals do to their prey. Nothing could have prepared me for this day. Not even the birth of my son, Alexander, nor my son Rufus. There was so much blood. I heard how the Roman soldiers beat him with a whip. The Roman's whip is made of leather and at the end of it has metal, glass, and bone. The Romans did not invent the crucifixion, but they did perfect it to a T. The crucifixion is death by cross, drowning on dry land. It is a grotesque, humiliating, brutal, slow, agonizing death. There was so much blood.
but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace is upon him, and by his stripes we are healed.
Father forgiven, for they know not what they do. Beloved, on this day we think about our Redeemer, our Waymaker, our Strong Tower, as He stands on the backdrop in a climate much hotter than it is today. Perhaps the wind was blowing, maybe it wasn't, but He stands, blood-drenched, torn body, stretched out, skull is pierced to the bone. Our Redeemer lifts up his head and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. This takes on a special meaning when you realize that what he actually said was a prayer for you and I. He no doubt looked out at the people, looked at their small minds and childlike actions, crucifying him for no reason, blaming him falsely, doing what they did to them, he spoke forgiveness. And he lifted this prayer anyhow. I'm reminded of when I was a child, my dad, would take me to the parades. Oftentimes the parades would be on Broadway and me being little, I'd wanna see the celebration. I'd wanna see the fire trucks and everything. But oftentimes because I was so small, I could not see anything. I remember this one time I couldn't see and I threw a tantrum. I threw a fit that couldn't see anything and I'm yelling and screaming. My dad told me to calm down. And without speaking or thinking about what I did, he lifted me up, put me on his shoulders so that I can see. Once I was on his shoulders, I saw clearly every bit of the celebration. Beloved, that is what Jesus did for us at Calvary when he lifted up this prayer. He asked for forgiveness for you and I. Basically, he looked beyond our finite minds and he looked beyond our ability to not even understand what we were doing to him. We didn't know. And he lifted us up anyway in prayer. And my father put me on his shoulders and I saw everything clearly. Now I see. Reminds me of the song from Aretha Franklin when she says, before I wake up, before I put on my makeup, I say a little prayer for you. Jesus did that for us. He said a prayer for us. Before we could even come to wake up and know who we were, he said a prayer for us. Before we can make up and become who we were, before you can make up your mind in who he was, before you put on your makeup to be whoever you are to be, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He said a little prayer for us. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus wasn't the only one executed on that day. There were two criminals with him, one on the left and one on the right, and he in the middle. And one criminal just mocks him continues to mock him just as the crowd mocks him. But 
the other criminal realized that he was the Messiah. And he knew that death would not be the end. So he asked Jesus to remember him when he comes to his kingdom. Jesus, in agony, pauses to acknowledge the man and replies, this day you will be with me in paradise. And just like that, the man receives eternal life. Nothing more is asked of him, just his belief. And this act assures us of the same. It is nothing that we can earn or that we even deserve. It is because of our belief and acknowledgement that Jesus is the Christ, is the Messiah. And this reminds me of an old hymn of the church. And it says, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's vein. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there may I, and there may us, all of us, though vile as he, wash all our sins away. And there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. Woman, behold thy son. Son, behold thy mother. John 17, 25 through 27. Now there stood at the cross of Jesus, his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and that disciple whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then Jesus saith unto the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour he took her unto his own home. We see here that Jesus gave a command to his mother and to John to look at each other with a new perspective, in a new way, in a new relationship. Jesus doesn't say any more than that because he doesn't have to. He knows that they know what's expected and how to live that out. The scripture says, from that hour, John who was that disciple, brought her into his own home. Uh, what we don't see is Mary having an argument with Jesus saying, I don't want to live with John. Uh, what we don't see is John saying, now just isn't a good time. I don't have room. What we do see is John hearing a command from his Lord and obeying. Brothers and sisters, we must remember that while we are here on earth, we are the hands and feet of Jesus until he returns. For it is through us 
that Jesus clothes those that are naked. It is through us that Jesus feeds the hungry. It is through us that Jesus visits those that are sick. As we think about Jesus at this point of crucifixion, showing this affection, this concern for others, even as he nears death, I ask us, as we meditate upon the passion and resurrection of Jesus, to whom is God telling you to behold? What relationships does he want you to view from a new perspective and bring healing to? And finally, how long is it going to take you to obey?
my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Eli, Eli, Lema Sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where is the praise? Where is the honor? Where is the glorification of God? These words which Jesus speaks ring of agony and defeat. Our hearts break as we enter into the suffering of Jesus' world. Why? Why did he speak these words from Psalm 22 on the cross? Eli, Eli, Lema Sabachthani. This expression of total despair, Jesus utters as he's on the cross taking the sin of all mankind. My sin, your sin, the sin that separates us from God. With these words, as he references Psalm 22, Jesus affirms that he will finish the work that he was commissioned to do on the cross. The miraculous saving work of the cross. With these words, Jesus reminds us that God is faithful, that God is our strength, that God is our deliverer, that God is our savior. Eli, Eli, Lema, Sabachthani. Eli, Eli, Lema, Sabachthani. Here is the praise. Here is the honor. Here is the glorification of God. Here on the cross is salvation for those who choose to believe. I thirst. Jesus knew that his mission had now been completed. And so that scripture could be fulfilled, he said, I am thirsty. Jesus never lost sight of his mission. He never lost sight of what his mission from his father was. That mission was to become the final sacrifice that would allow us to have a restorative relationship and salvation with his father. John showed us in his writing that all of this was to accomplish God's plan. And when we look at the words, I am thirsty or I thirst, in English, those are two phrases. But when we look at that in the Greek, it says dipsau, which actually means to have a natural thirst or to have a spiritual thirst. So the question is, what do you thirst after? Do you thirst after God and his righteousness? Do you actually say, God, I am thirsty for more of you? Jesus knew his sacrifice was complete. So then he was able to say, I am thirsty. Scripture does tell us that earlier Jesus refused to drink the vinegar, the gall, and the myrrh mixture. But this time was different. 
when he said, I am thirsty. We will come to know his, his need for a drink for his parched lips and his dried throat was not for him, but we will come to know that it was for the crowd and it was for us to fulfill scripture. Imagine Jesus looking down from the mobbing crowd and all they do is mock me loud, hanging slowly like a thread. I thirst and that's all I've said. I thirst not because I need a drink, I thirst because I need you to think. Despite everything that happened, I still give my life to save mankind from hell's rife. I thirst. It is finished. John 19.30 says, and when he took the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave his spirit up. It is finished, it is done. Jesus has been accused enough. Jesus has been persecuted enough. Jesus has been beaten and cursed enough. In his fully humanness, he had had enough. But we know that he came in the midst of his ministry as he told everyone that he came to save those that would believe in him he came so that we would have eternal life. He came because he knew that he was go going back to his father. He had been telling everyone when he came with his ministry that he had come to save the world. He was sent by God for those to believe that in him they could have eternal life. But they didn't want to listen. They didn't want to believe. It almost seemed that the more that he told them about his ministry, the more they rejected him. The more that they heard that they could have new life in him, the more they despised him. The more that he tried to heal and raise the dead, the more they tried to kill him. Jesus could have excused himself in all of his humanness, but Jesus had a plan. He was there to fulfill God's mission. And so in his fully divineness, he stayed. It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave us his spirit. What is finished, my friends? Jesus is complete. Christ completed his work to bring forth the forgiveness of sins to all of those who would believe. And he came knowing that he would return to the Father. Can we celebrate, my friends, that Christ didn't give up as if he was a failure? Christ wasn't defeated and running to God. Christ completed his mission. Christ completed his purpose. For in God, Christ was victorious and returned back to God victorious. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. His death on the cross took him back to the Father. His death on the cross brought the arrival of the Holy Spirit to us for you and for me. Jesus' death on the cross provides a new beginning for you and for me. My friends, we rejoice with this ending for there is a start of something new. With every completion, there is a new path. What may seem to be a loss in our life with Christ can be a new chapter in our lives. In Christ, new lessons are being learned daily for God's glory. Yes, on the cross, Jesus Christ said it is finished. And with that, he gave up his spirit. 
The loss was immensely great, but the gains are even greater thereafter. My friends, let us rejoice. For Christ returned to his Father and gives us the opportunity to start a new path and return to our Father as well. God bless you. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Here we are, beloved, at the final word as stated from Jesus on Calvary. Dr. Luke in Luke chapter 23, 46 records exactly what Jesus utters. He lifts up his head one last time and he says, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Jesus commits his spirit to God. Let's make no mistake about it. No one could kill him. No one took his life. He fully committed on his own his ability to die. Remember, he said that I have the power to lay down my own life and take it up again. And so here we have our Redeemer making this statement unto God. I commit. When we bury someone, we say we commit their body to the earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. We say we put them in the earth. But Jesus bypasses death and he says, I commit to my father, myself, and my spirit. I'm reminded of this as he commits his spirit into God's hands of a boy who was trapped in a fire. He's trapped in a fire and it's in an apartment complex and the firefighters rush to, in to try to save him. One brave firefighter knows that time is running out. So he climbs a pole that is submerged in the fire to try to get to the little boy. The fire burns through his gloves as he's climbing and climbing. He grabs the boy, puts him on his back, and he rescues the boy. Sadly enough, that boy's parents are killed in the fire. And so, that sooner or later, maybe a year or so later, that boy is up for adoption. And as he looks for the people in the room, he sees that firefighter. And he says, out of all the people that can take him, he says, I want him to take me. Social worker asked, why him? And he said, and looking at his burned hands, the boy says, because I know his hands. Does anyone know that God's hands are still the best hands to receive us? Our daddy's hands are still the hands that can take us in. In the midst of a pandemic, aren't you glad that it was his hands that held you up? It was his hand that kept you strong. It was his hand and it's his it's in his hands that I commit my spirit. It is his hands that'll keep me from day to day. It is his hands that will deliver me from all of my enemies. It's his hand that will do the amazing and unbelievable and inconceivable. It is his hands that will take me from day to day. It is his hands that I like Jesus, commit my spirit.